Welcome to the Glojo Podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Kalal, and every week I'll be sharing thought-provoking, soul-soothing, and inspiring conversations from personal stories to insider tips and tricks. At the Glojo, you can always find what you need when you need it most. This is permission. Permission to be you, permission to be messy, permission to feel all the feels. So what do you say? Let's do this together. I'll see you in the Glojo. Hello, Christina, and welcome to the Glojo podcast. It's such a pleasure to see you again on the podcast. But uh, aside from the podcast, I know we have so many years of knowing each other. It's like it's, it's really a true pleasure. Yes, it is. It's so nice to be here with you today. And for everyone listening, Christina is a returning guest on the Glojo podcast. It is not uh, it is not often that this happens, but what it does, it is for good reason. And even just saying that, I'm getting chills on my legs because I'm so excited to dive into the conversation that we're going to be having today, Christina. Christina is a writer. She's an author. She is a, she's a teacher and she is the co-founder of Mind Valley. I will make sure that you that I link to all the ways you can follow and connect with Christina in the show notes. And I'm so excited to be here with Christina today because she has a new book that is out called Becoming Flossom. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. So Christina, welcome. And let's just dive in. I would love to hear more about the concept of Becoming Flossom and Mm -hmm. how, I know we talked about this in the first interview, but it seems like this has really taken hold in your life and it's morphed into, we'll say a movement, like it is Becoming Flossom. It's it's happened. It is is being. It's here to stay. I do hope so. Uh, thank you for giving me the chance to actually talk about my book uh, and to come to a podcast again. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I wonder if, if, if it is a movement already or not, but I know that uh, contemporary society has been quite fascinated by the idea of, of us being imperfect and uh, us, and I mean, us humans being imperfect. And we do admit that um, we have to be a little bit easier on uh, ourselves when it comes to making mistakes, to uh, being flawed, maybe, because uh, mistakes are part of uh, any journey. Mistakes and and flaws and and falling down um, is is part of any progress. You can't really move anywhere uh, if you are uh, afraid uh, frozen afraid of uh, of uh, making a mistake. So it is becoming part of the conversation. I think what I'm doing is that I'm turning it inwards uh, and I'm looking at um, or inviting people, inviting readers uh, to look inside and to see uh, or to, to, to try to acknowledge those parts of ourselves that are maybe hard to acknowledge, hard to, uh, hard to come to to terms with the idea that, um, you know, I'm not exactly what I would like myself to be. Uh, and I want to take it further uh, and go beyond just uh, just the um, just the concept of accepting yourself flawed. We are flawed. We are imperfect. I think it was Dali who said, if uh, you're afraid of perfection, don't because it's unattainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we are... We, I, I think we subconsciously we know that we are imperfect and we'll always will be. But what I want to 
invite people to to do is to realize that it is those things that make you maybe cringe and maybe um, make you feel ashamed where your true value lies. Mm. So rather than just accepting yourself with your flaws and imperfections, I'm inviting people to find their strength, their unique value in those things, which we generally try to keep behind the closed doors and not to show to the world. Oh my goodness. I have so much to say just off of that. I'm like, I can, I, and I don't want to talk the whole time because I'm here interviewing you, but I just want to <laughs> share a few of the things that came up immediately. So first of all, you are such a great fit for the Glojo because on the website, it says this is permission to be imperfectly, like perfectly, but like imperfectly you. Um, and for myself, I've struggled with perfectionism a lot throughout my life. I've always held myself to a high standard and I feel like I have this potential and I have these ideas and I can see it. And then at the same time, that perfectionism has really held me back. And I've definitely been stuck in the perfectionism paralysis loop. And when I started the podcast, I just kind of said, screw it. I need to start this. I've wanted to do this for at that time, it was probably I had at least had the idea for two, if not three years. And I was always waiting for the right time. And I'm so glad that I didn't wait for the right time because the right time does not exist. Why do you think we have this standard of perfectionism in society when we know it's not realistic? Because it messes with the psyche. Uh, you know, I like to turn uh, the conversation back inside because the society can have whatever standard the society wants. It mm. becomes uh, it becomes an impediment for you when you uh, accept that expectation. So it doesn't. It is not really about what society uh, expects of you. It is what you expect of yourself. So usually, perfectionism is not really um, something that uh, your peers or your parents or your I don't know, spouse or children uh, may demand from you. Perfectionism is, uh, well, it's your own infliction. It's uh, it's your internal <laughs> internal struggle, usually. Oh, damn. Uh, so, I can't blame uh, it on other people? <laughs> no, you, you can, of course. I know, I'm just I mean, joking. I'm just like. joking. <laughs> you, and you certainly can blame uh, you can certainly blame society for everything but uh, it is a little more um, productive to realize that uh, the standard of perfection is an internal standard it's not external standard uh, we all have a little bit different version of perfectionism. I also think that this is a natural trait of a lot of uh, ambitious people. It's just how ambitious people are wired, how people who are very active, who are, uh, well, even competitive people, we are all wired to a degree to perfectionism. And also having been in personal growth and transformation for 20 years, I think it's one of those flaws which we are very comfortable to talk about because it is, while we understand that it does um, hinder us uh, in many ways, it is also the one thing that it is not so scary to admit. I, oh, I'm a perfectionist. A perfectionist. This is my, this is my big thing. Well, I bet, no, this is the thing, this is the showcase thing that we can discuss. But uh, since you brought it up, we can talk about that. Uh, I believe that people uh, create that standard uh, out of best intentions. We want to be good. And I know it's a very ambiguous saying, we want to be good. 
And uh, a definition of good is very individual to each human being. You know, for some people, good means like in top shape. For other people, good means being super smart uh, or super achieving. So we all have our own version of good. uh, And uh, we all want to be a little better a little better than what we are. So uh, you know where the road paved with be- a good intention leads. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> chasing perfectionism, unfortunately, is no different. Uh, because we we have this vision of what it means to be a better version of me, we usually have uh, difficulties dealing with the current version of me. Mm-hmm. So it's good to want to be a better person. But what is not good is when you can't accept the current version because you're so enamored with a good version. So if I bring a slightly more easier analogy, when people fall in love, there is this period where our um, biology helps us along and we are essentially drugged. <laughs> we uh, see the person, that the object of our love as an ideal we don't see the real person. We all have an ideal, subconsciously at least, we have an ideal of what it means to be a perfect partner for me. So while we are being drugged by the nature <laughs> in the process of being in love, uh, we ignore all the red flags and we keep uh, digging ourselves deeper into this relationship with an ideal, not yes. a real person. And then after some time, of course, uh, you know, the, the hormones subside. And we start seeing the person for what that person really is. Uh, it happens after a few months, usually. So what do we do? We have a choice of keep either you keep loving the real version of that person with their flaws and imperfections, or you get disillusioned and you, you, know, you look for another partner. So a similar thing happens to us because we have the, the out of best intentions, we have uh, a picture of what it means to be the best version of me. Uh, we really have, uh, we really don't have a choice <laughs> because you can't, <laughs> you, you can't really dump yourself. <laughs> so it's you true. have to learn to love the, the current version of yourself. Uh. That's so beautiful. And it's it's so true. Like how many times and like I'll I'll raise my hand here, but it's like how many times for people listening, have you dated the potential of the partner versus it's like actually let's be realistic about who the person is and then we decide. And that it's so it's such a beautiful analogy because it's easy to see when it's someone else and then to turn it inside and to look at ourselves. And so I know for me. And, and really at the Glojo, self-acceptance, it's like self-awareness and then honoring, um, honoring yourself. Those are two of the main tenets that I talk about a lot here. And it is so much easier said than done, at least for me. <laughs> I am an aware person. I, I'd like to think I'm fairly self-aware with all the work I've done. And there's a part of me that's I'm getting better at accepting and honoring, but like truly accepting and honoring and I'll share a personal experience I just had and how my first lens was judgment, but I was able to shift it. And so um, I'm talking with this new company right now and they said, hey, do you have your Colby score? We'd love to see it. And I was like, oh God, my Colby score. (laughs) So I went and I dug it up because I have really high numbers and really low numbers and I judged it. And then when I took a minute to actually read the definitions, I'm like, oh, that's so me. And in that moment, I could actually see how I operated was unique and it was a strength 
And it was just different than how other people operated. And so that was where I caught myself being so judgmental. And then I read it and I was like, oh, okay, I can get behind this. What advice do you have for people around like truly accepting our flaws? There's the shadow (laughs) side. There's the things like it's so much easier said than done. And maybe this is part of the journey of life because (laughs) I think we continue to like peel back the onion and we're always meeting these different parts. But like, how can we befriend all of us versus like, bad, I'm going to keep you in the corner or like, I'm not going to let you out or feeling shame. You know, uh, a side note, when you peel an onion, you know, your your eyes tear, don't they? <laughs> Crying all the No wonder I cry so much. It's just a constant process of peeling the onion. I mean, <laughs> yes, I, but but I agree. I've also brought that analogy um, a few times that, that transformation a little bit like, and journey back to you is a little bit like peen, peeling yeah. an onion. You remove all those layers. Well, you know, the... the to give a proper answer to your question, we'd have to go into the full training because it's, it is a process and it doesn't matter how aware you are. You can be very aware and still uh, struggle with, uh, with things um, because it's not the knowledge that changes your life. It's um, knowledge plus experience. Uh, raw knowledge in itself is useless. It's dry. It's, um, it's like a book on a shelf. Unless you take it down and read it, it doesn't go it, it doesn't change anything. So awareness in itself is definitely a good, it's a prerequisite for transformation, but it is not a guarantee of transformation. Uh, you can be very aware about being uh, depressed and suicidal. You know, it doesn't, you still need right. uh, certain tools and techniques and, and help, uh, very often professional, to dig yourself out of, uh, out of um, bad situations or out of, difficult times. Uh, Awareness is a prerequisite though. It's like, you know, when you go to school, you learn to read because you need to know how to read to uh, study any science. Mm -hmm. But reading in itself doesn't give you all the knowledge that you will acquire uh, through reading eventually. Right. Uh, So when it comes to self-love and um, self-acceptance, the, the you know it's 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 not that it's hard to love yourself um to love yourself imperfect mm-hmm. it just requires uh, some practice because we uh we learn from a very young age that we have to earn love and that is where perfectionists struggle so hard uh if uh, you remember yourself, I, d- I don't know, maybe maybe you were a lucky different person, but most kids, when they grow up, uh, when we do something good, we get praised. We get showered with love very often. When we do something bad, very often people who are supposed to love us unconditionally withdraw love. If not really, then at least on the surface level, they show, mm-hmm. they, play, they, they play a game of withdrawing love. Uh, parents do that. Teachers do that. I have done that unconsciously because that's how uh, the yeah. society has operated. So we learn that to be loved, we need to be perfect. We need to be good. Uh, we can't make mistakes. And of course, we learn and we carry that uh, into the adulthood. Uh, and the funny thing is that we may learn to love other people unconditionally, especially children or beloved partners or pets. <laughs> pets puppies. Easy to love. puppies come to mind immediately. <laughs> exactly. 
we uh, we generally experience unconditional love towards others uh, at some point in our life, um, but we keep negotiating for our own love. I do love myself, but only under the condition that I'm good. And if I'm not good, I'm the first one who is going to, uh, you know, to punish myself by withdrawing love. So uh, to love yourself fully, uh, I think the easy analogy again, it's not the full training, but analogy would be, imagine the person that is easy for you to love. A person, it may be a, a puppy if you want, uh, but some, some, someone or something that it is easy for you to love unconditionally. You don't uh, need to uh, make an effort. And compare your, uh, your relationship with yourself to that relationship. So in my case, it's easy for me to love my children unconditionally. So whenever... I have a relationship with myself, I ask myself, is that how I would treat my children? A very simple example. You know, after I crossed 40, uh, of course, I got some extra killers, which I just couldn't shed. And uh, I have this, uh, uh, these parts of the body, which is, uh, which aren't familiar to me <laughs> from previous life. And I remember what, looking at myself in the mirror and, and thinking about, you know, this concept of loving yourself, loving your body. And, and I caught myself thinking, yeah, if I could just get rid of this, it's not a lot, but I have to do that. Yes, I love myself, but, and then I suddenly remembered my son, he has Asperger's. <laughs> And I thought to myself, would I ever think I would love Hayden even a little more if he didn't have it? And I started laughing because it sounded ridiculous to me. I could never imagine loving him if he was a little different or loving my daughter a little more if her hair color was different or her eye color was different. It's yeah. It, I don't love them despite what they are, but because of what they are. So when I compare my love to my children with my love to myself, that's a benchmark that I'm trying to aim for. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And for everyone listening, like take note of that. That's an awesome tool and perspective um, to use when you catch yourself being really, really judgmental. It's like, wait, would I talk to would I think this way or feel this way about a loved one? So thank you for sharing that. That's just so practical. And again, I love your analogies. You're so great with analogies because it just like it lands and it makes sense. Do you have any advice for how people can just integrate and celebrate their flaws more on a regular basis? Because I think the more we can truly kind of like notice them, and then celebrate and be proud in the moment, it's going to help us continue forward, moving towards our goals, while also like fueling our feel good. It's such an interesting question. I, I don't think that I talk about uh, people just celebrating their flaws uh, while it's, it, it's fine, of course, celebrate your flaws. I think uh, the goal is to, is to accept the fact that you are what you are mm. and learn to live with that and maybe even turn it to your advantage. As our friend who is now gone used to say, I, is, are you going to, Sean, I'm talking about Sean Stevenson, are you going to make it your curse or your blessing? 
Oh, it was his mom, actually, who said that. Are you going to, to make it your curse or your blessing? Uh, and um, it is a little, a little deeper than just saying, so I'm like this, so what? Let me enjoy yeah. myself this way. It's, yeah. a little, it's a little more profound than that. It's about realizing that because you are this way, you have made it in your life to this point. Mm. And actually being grateful for the things that you are. So let's take the easy one, the perfectionism. Yeah. We may think that we struggle with that. But, and, and I, I once heard like years ago, somebody saying, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I loved it so much. And I kept saying about that I'm recovered perfectionist until uh, at some point I realized that I cannot recover from being me. You know? Yeah. I cannot. And if, if perfectionism is such a, uh, an integral part of my personality, and by the way, that's not my worst flaw. I have yeah. better flaws than that. We can talk about them later if you like. But I realize I can't recover from being perfectionist. I will forever be a perfectionist. It's not the question of eradicating a part of me. It's a question of learning to live with that and finding the strength in it. Because I'm perfectionist, I have a really high bar and actually try harder. But yes, it can be paralyzing. Yes, it can stop me from doing things. So rather than eradicating this quality in me, I'm trying to harness it. So let me go to another quality which I have. I'm, uh, I'm very lazy. <laughs> I can be like, I've got, so I'm really leaning into this because I'm a manifester in human design and we're, we're supposed to have a lot of downtime. And I'm like, Hey, I love laying in bed. I can get behind this for sure. <laughs> I'm incredibly, I used to call it leisurely because leisurely yeah. has a little less uh, yeah, it, it feels good connotation. Yeah. But you see, this is a part of me. I know one thing, if I go into extreme with that, I will actually get rest, become restless. So the, it's, it's interesting, you know, if you go into extreme with perfectionism, you also at some point, you will get so exhausted, you will want to drop things and you will become yeah. the opposite of the perfectionist for a while because we can't do with the extremes. But because I'm very uh, leisurely, I need structures in my life to make me work. So, for example, I don't like going to the gym too much, but I go to a gym with a friend who is training me. And because we have it set into my calendar at the same time every week, uh, the same spot, the same person, I don't need to make an effort. And I, I keep functioning in the areas where my nature would probably take over and say, stay in bed and let's have another half an hour of yeah. sleep. Oh, yeah. But because I'm like this, I optimize like crazy. I delegate like crazy. I refuse to do things which don't ignite me. I actually have learned that what I, I want to do are the things that only I can do and nobody else. I, it has taught me to actually refocus into my genius zone, to stop wasting my time on things which, which are not productive or maybe not, not so genius after all. Come on. I, there are so many people who can do things um, in in the wider scope of what I'm doing, but there is this 20% that only I can do and no one else, and I want to focus only on that. And this is a result of me being lazy. So what I'm talking about is taking the flaw or the part in you, and rather than eradicating it, eradic eradicating a part of me, harnessing it, 
and then finding strength in it, choosing it to be your blessing rather than your curse. And I am a huge uh, opponent of hustling culture. Uh, and uh, I think it is also partially because I, by nature, I'm lazy. But then, you know, it's because humans are lazy, the progress has happened because it's it's because we want to optimize, because we want to free up space, we find better ways to do things. Mm -hmm. Because life is actually about being in the present moment. And when I say lazy, it doesn't mean that I like to sleep in bed long. I like to walk. I like to be with my friends. I like to be with my family. I like to do, I I, I like to uh, plan my farm. To do things which which are juicy, which is which are about you know the life experience, why we are here on Earth, on planet Earth. I think the problem here is the paradigm that success has to be earned with sweat, blood, and tears. The paradigm of hustling. We don't believe in success in any other way. So if let's say success comes in the area that we truly enjoy, we start looking suspicious at it. What's wrong with it? Maybe it's not sustainable. Maybe it's not success. Maybe I'm an imposter. It can't be so easy. It can't be so enjoyable. It shouldn't be like that. We start sabotaging ourselves. If, if you equate success to, um, to hustle, you will need resistance because if you don't get it, you will never believe that your success is worth anything. Oh my gosh. There's so many layers there. And um, I know for me, one of the, something that was programmed in me is like, you work hard. And when you work hard, good things come to you and you'll be successful. And I can really see how that served me to a certain extent in my life. And I was recently talking with someone and I said, I am ready to receive like just wild abundance and wild success that's irrational. It doesn't even make sense. And it's so easy. (laughs) And it's so, you know, because I'm I'm ready to lean into that more um, and not have it be difficult. And I just love how you've really identified. It's like, okay, we have our flaws. We're not perfect. But instead of trying to eradicate that part of ourselves, how can we actually not only accept it and honor it, but harness it? I freaking love that. There's something so powerful about that because a lot of times the things that, at least in in my experience, the things that we're maybe ashamed of or we feel insecure about, that's actually what makes us unique. And that's actually what made, that's actually what people enjoy about us, or that's what can set us apart from other people, or that's how we can add value in these different ways. And so, yeah, I love it. And then the other thing that came to mind is you were, you said genius zone and that was going through my mind and I'm like, oh, Gay Hendricks. I love Gay Hendricks. His book, The Big Leap, it's something I read on a regular kind of yearly or like every year and a half, I'll reread that book. And he talks about the concept of a glass ceiling. And that's essentially what you were talking about when we start to experience success in these ways where it's it's maybe easy and it doesn't actually we experience success without the hustle which I'm over hustle culture let me tell you that's why glow getting is a thing now <laughs> it's like and then it's also about finding the big glow um, but anyways <laughs> there's there's this glass ceiling and the glass ceiling comes in when our beliefs about ourselves and our success is is challenged and so it's like oh that was too easy I'm going to create subconsciously create all these problems in my life um, because success should be difficult. And so do you have any advice for people when they catch themselves going into the self-sabotage cycle? Like how can we catch that and nip it in the butt and redirect? 
<laughs> it's you know it's not even that the 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 problem is the paradigms as i said uh knowledge doesn't change anything and i can tell you that uh i don't think that success has to be hard work it doesn't mean that it has to be easy though yeah. because um that's the interesting thing about hacking beliefs. You take the belief that doesn't serve you, but the belief that serves you isn't necessarily a heel turn. So if you say, you know, um, making money is hard, um, it, it it is not a very empowering belief, but uh, maybe the empowering belief is not that making money is easy. It's right. it's an adjustment to a trajectory, and it, that adjustment may be just a few degrees. So I, while I don't believe in hustling, I don't also say that success or money or um, achievement is something which is easy. I think mm -hmm. they should be enjoyable. Yes, this is I different. love that. Yes, I love that. And occasionally, I actually enjoy hustling. Mm -hmm. But hustling cannot be... Uh, your default regime. I yeah. generally don't believe in, <laughs> it's such a funny thing I just said, I generally don't believe in absolutes, but that is an absolute <laughs> by saying that. But there are no absolutes, I think. And um, there are no one size fits all and there are no recipes in life. So some people need hustle, some people need chill. Some people need to uh, get off the sofa, get out of their meditative pose, uh, you know, rather than manifesting, go and do things. And other people need to stop doing and start being. So different people, different circumstances in life, different areas uh, of your life, one that you might need different approach in different areas of your own life. Yeah. So uh, why I'm saying that is that you you really have to have the finger on the pulse to understand, do you need to hustle more or do you need to hustle less? Yeah. But if hustling is your default regime, then I would say you probably need to hustle less. Yeah. Um, so what would I suggest? <laughs> As I said, it's not the knowledge that changes your life. And you may, con cognitively, you may agree and you say like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But in your life, that's not how you make choices. Your choices are made much more subconsciously. Mm -hmm. So you might say, like, I'd like to do that. It's an ideal. But if you don't believe that this is viable and this is possible, if you haven't seen proof of, of or disproof of what you hold true, no amount of convincing yourself will actually uh, will actually change anything about your life. If somewhere deep inside you still buy into the paradigm that success requires hard work and hustling, mm -hmm. you will not force yourself to stop doing that. You really have to see it the different way. And for that, you need experience. Yeah. I love this. I love how you're emphasizing action as well, because it's like we can't just have knowledge. Like I always say knowledge plus action or in action is wisdom. And that's where change can start to happen. You just hit on something. This was something that I wanted to talk to you about when I was thinking like, Ooh, I, I get to connect with Christina. What do I want to ask her about? You basically hit on something that I was talking with my therapist this week about, and I'm not going to go into details because that's not the point. We don't need to go into all the mess of my life, but in this one, it's, I mean, and I embrace the mess, but, um, 
basically there's an area of my life where I have been in indecision for a very long time. And it is so painful. Like now it's getting to the point where it's too uncomfortable to continue living in this murky gray area and a decision needs to be made. And I was really thinking, I'm like, why have I not been making decisions? Like usually I'm a quick start and I'll, I'm like, Hey, let's go. Let's just go. And then you try something, see how it works. And then, okay, that didn't work out, redirect and just keep going. And in this area, I realized that I've been so worried to make the wrong decision. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons I haven't made a decision. But then the other thing that you just hit on, it's like, oh yeah, do I have the, the proof that this is possible or what's the underlying belief there? And so what are your thoughts around decision making and how can we learn to embrace the flaws that might come with certain decisions that we make and continue living life and not let it hold us back. And it's part of the journey versus this horrible thing. Well, it would take a lot of time to unpack this whole situation because there are different uh, aspects to that. There is uh, a simple decision-making versus this one decision that we are afraid to make in our life. And I'm sorry for a very nasty analogy, but it seems to work and I had to embrace it. I didn't want to embrace it because I'm such a refined human being. You can see a harp in my background. Yes, the harp, Uh, the piano. (laughs) So so please forgive me for this analogy, but uh, I think that... um, there is this one area in our lives very often which is is like a thorn and um we stay indeci- uh, indecisive about this area because it's, it's it's a scary place so what we do is that we fix everything else in our life we keep ourselves busy so the analogy is like having a an immaculately clean living room you've you know you've busied yourself all day cleaning uh wiping Uh, it's spotless. And then there's a huge pile of poop in the middle of it. So why I'm saying this analogy is that very often uh, people who come into personal growth, they busy themselves with perfecting everything in their life because it is so scary to deal with this, excuse me, a big pile of poop in the middle of the living room. But the truth is, as long as this pile is there, the rest of the living room being clean doesn't change anything in your life. And your life quality suffers because of this one thorn, this one problem, which you refuse to to, to solve. Uh, and uh, most of us, by the age of 30 or 40, would have acquired this, this one problem. Now, there is the second part of this uh, situation is the indecision. <clears throat> and I'm going to say a cliche, so forgive me again, <laughs> being such a I love cliches. <laughs> I love cliches, so it's all good. So the cliche is that failure to make a decision is a decision to be a failure. It is a cliche. But very often the indecision or the fear to make the wrong decision is just a story that we tell ourselves. Deep inside, we know the right decision, but it is a leap of faith. And it is so scary to commit to it that it's much easier to be this one step away from this decision. So here I'll give you a slightly nicer analogy. Uh, Years ago, um, it just happened so that I I was uh, signed for uh, skydiving. (laughs) I was kind of convinced. (laughs) And it had to happen in a few weeks uh, after, after we signed up. And... 
it was such a scary thing for me. I didn't, I actually couldn't plan anything beyond that point. I remember I had to have a, a hairdresser appointment. I had it a few days before because I, somewhere, somewhere I thought I might die. <laughs> and, um, and it was scary. And uh, I remember the morning when I woke up, I I opened my eyes and I thought I can I, I can go to the drop zone. It doesn't mean I have to jump. And we are we are driving the car. We are we are arriving in the drop zone. And I think I can do the training. It doesn't mean I have to jump. So I do the training, and then they they bring out the outfit and I put the gear and everything. And I tell myself I can put the gear, but it doesn't mean I have to jump. And then we are in the plane. And I'm thinking of all the times that I've been in the plane and landed perfectly with the plane, not outside the plane. Yeah. And then, of course, I'm standing there in front of this door and all I see is uh, it's an abyss. There's nothing. You know, there's earth, but it's so far away you can't recognize it. And it is so scary. And I feel like this is the end of it. And then, of course, the guy who was jumping with me, he just kicks me in the butt right. and I fall out. <laughs> and I fall out and I feel like I'm flying. Yeah. To the point that where, where, when we were at the altitude where I had to pull the chute, I refused. I'm like, no, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. So he pulled the chute for me. Uh, and what I'm, why I'm giving you this analogy is that the distance between paralyzing fear and the feeling that you're flying is this one step into the unknown. And very often we stand, uh, we stand in front of this door, refusing to make this one step because it is so scary. And this whole journey of, you know, I can, it doesn't mean I have to jump. It doesn't mean I have to jump. It's this negotiation that we have with our decision. Yeah. As long as I'm just one step away from the decision, maybe I still don't have to jump. But, you know, if, if, I, had, uh, if I had the way back into the plane, that wouldn't be skydiving. That would be bungee jumping. Right. A very different experience. I would be yeah. dangling on the cord if I didn't cut that cord. Yeah, it's again like such a beautiful analogy. And I remember when I went skydiving, um, and it was right after my time at Mine Valley, and I was in California going to all these events. And some friends and I, we were like, we're gonna skydive. And I remember we made a video, and I'm like, this is to the brules, like, <laughs> like mission with this bullshit rules. And I'm like, yeah, the, like I'm getting rid of all my brules by taking this this dive. And there's this moment where I was the last one to get into the plane. And I was like, Oh, thank God I'm the last one. Well, the last one getting into the plane means you're the first one out. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, shit, looks like I'm going first. And it was like, it happened so fast. And you're right, though, it's it's like a millisecond. It's an absolute millisecond. And you take that leap of faith. And it was the best, most exhilarating feeling ever. And I'm like, I want to go again. Um, But that being said, it can be difficult to take the leap, leaps of faiths. And I know for me, I've taken many in my life. And when I do, I feel like my life always catapults and goes to the next level. But then I forget that. Or even though I will remember it like I'm remembering now, I still have this fear. or I'll still be in this like place of indecision. So what advice do you have for people for just like taking that step? <laughs> this is like you know, if you it's a it's personal therapy session here today, Christina. 
Well, for for one, I, I would suggest uh, to face, um, as, uh, well, um, or maybe to, to I, I would suggest an idea that if you are undecided and if you have a story why you are undecided, that most likely you're just afraid. Yeah. <laughs> and you're masking that fear, which is absolutely human, behind a beautiful story. <laughs> it's such an important decision. I have to, I can't rush into it. Uh, and I get it because I've done that too. And it is scary and it is not always going to be better. Sometimes it's going to be painful. It is going to feel better because at least you won't have this um, thing about having to decide but you might have to start things from scratch. You might have to rediscover yourself. You might have to go through uh, a growth curve. So it's not necessarily going to be uh, incredibly enjoyable, but you will feel yourself much better just because you have made a decision finally. Even if it is a scary decision, it is so much easier when you you have decided. That, that I can tell you for a fact. Uh, one thing... Uh, courage is uh, a trainable skill. You might not need to do the leap of faith straight away. Practice courage before with something smaller. You know, go go speak on stage, go speak to a stranger. Do things that make you uncomfortable. Courage is a trainable skill. You don't... The goal is not absence of fear. The goal is action despite the fear. Fear is natural. If you don't have fear, you're probably risking your life too much. Uh, so, so courage is trainable. And if you are not ready for this courageous step, tr- practice on something small and then <laughs> find, find someone to support you. Uh, of course, loving yourself unconditionally helps to be brave. Because if you love yourself unconditionally, you know that you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to make the right thing. That you can still love yourself if you fail, if you're wrong. That this is not the grounds for you to deprive your own love. So uh, loving yourself definitely helps to be courageous. And the last little thought that might help is that very interesting idea that we have. We think that our life is shaped by big decisions. Big decisions are the things which are memorable, which sometimes are a turning point, but our life is not shaped by big decisions. Our lives are shaped by small decisions, everyday decisions. They're so much more important. And big decisions... You know, the the big things happen to our life. We are going to lose our loved ones at some point. We fail our projects. You know, we um, things happen. If if your life has any meaning, loss is part of it. So big things in life happen. They are memorable, but your life is defined by the small everyday decisions that you make, and there are thousands of those. So why do we put so much emphasis on the big things and let the small things run on autopilot? Oh my gosh, you are on fire today. These are my poetry <laughs> poetry snaps going on over here. Oh my goodness, I cannot wait to re-listen to this. <laughs> um, that's it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I love courage is a muscle. And you said something else too. Like it really is like these things, like we can practice, like we can. And I think that's one of the underlying messages of our conversation today is there's the knowledge, but actually taking action um, and like building those, building those muscles. So I really love that. And you're right. Like life is a series of small decisions and these small steps, obviously they're the big ones and those are memorable, but 
our, our life isn't just shaped by those big ones. So thank you so much. Oh my goodness. So a question that the creative in me and for the creatives who tune into the Glojo, writing a book and the process of writing the book. And really when you're writing a book on becoming flossom, what did this bring up for you? And how did you learn to embrace your flaws as you were writing this? Because I often think like when we have this assignment and this mission and what we're creating, we're going to be faced with these things coming up along the way. <laughs> Am I right? I find, I you know, I found that uh, the process of publishing the book was much more uh, illuminating for me. Writing the book was just uh, just enjoyable. I wrote it. It's it's my COVID baby, so I enjoyed the process. There was nothing else to do. You know, there was um, there was no push and pull of the society, no stress about that. So I enjoyed it. I love researching and reading and putting words on paper. I actually write much better than I speak, <laughs> in my opinion. And um, your writing is beautiful. You are very well <laughs> spoken, though. But I love I love reading what you write for sure. Thank you. So the writing was was just a, a an enjoyable process but publishing it was the thing that that was illuminating for me uh, I wrote it to be self-published obviously I want I had to defy all the convention because I was writing about finding strength in being you it's about authenticity about finding your path back and then along the way I decided to work with a big publisher because I wanted to give my first book baby the best. And that means a shot at New York Times bestsellers. And that means you have to work with a publisher. You have to go the conventional way. And that's when I started having this dance with what is expected versus what makes me me. You know, I get, I understand why things are expected, why there is convention, because that's how things are done. That's how people react. But then where do you draw the line where you do things uh, for the sake of your success versus uh, you do things because that what makes you you? I felt at times that I was uh, trading my soul for mm -hmm. success, you know, um, and that was a very interesting process. I'm still going through this. I think it, it is an ongoing thing because marketing is also part of it. I'm a little more chill on marketing because I have 15 years in marketing and yeah. I don't mind selling my soul there. <laughs> but when it comes to the book baby between the covers, that was an interesting path to find the balance between what is expected and what, is, what makes me, what I can't compromise. Thank you for sharing. And... Yeah, this conversation today, like I know every time I connect with you, I always leave feeling like nourished and filled up and with a lot of things to ponder, but also to do and to take action on. So thank you for joining me in the Glojo today and for sharing your elegance, your wisdom and your insight into really like what it is to be human. <laughs> because I think we need to, one of the things I want to do is like normalize what it means to be human because we have a picture of what it should be like, but it's different. So let's embrace <laughs> it. <laughs> do you have any, anything else that you want to share? Where can people find you and support you? I'm telling you it is a movement. I know it. <laughs> so how can people get on board? Well, uh, the best thing that you, um, 
you good too for me. <laughs> wow, it sounds like asking don't for a favor. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. <laughs> I think the best way to support me is actually to get my book uh, because uh, it, it is the biggest project of 2023 for me. So get my book and that will be a huge support and that will actually be a good start to, to get to know what I talk about. Awesome. And for everyone listening, I'll make sure that I link to it in the show notes. And I'm so happy to support you, Christina. And everybody, show Christina some love and download this episode. Share it with a friend, at least one friend. Let's really help and join this movement together. Thank you for tuning in. And Christina, thanks again for joining me. It's always a pleasure. And I'm sure there's going to be another book and I will look forward to interviewing you for that one as well. (laughs) Thank you, darling, for having me. It is my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.